This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Can I, can I start this morning with, a, with an incredible passage in the Bible? One of the most encouraging uh, verses that I think we could ever read, and it's 2 Corinthians 6.16, and it says this, As God said, I will dwell in them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How many say, thank you, Jesus, for that? (laughs) Amen? That is an incredible promise. But can I say this morning, every single promise of God comes with a condition. Right? Every prophetic word that God gives you comes with a condition. What do you do with it? How do you respond to it? I've seen people that have sat down for 20 years waiting for the the prophetic word of the Lord to come to pass and have done nothing and are just sitting there. It's almost like the people in 2 Thessalonians that quit their jobs waiting for the return of Christ. What are you waiting for? Jesus is coming back. He just left yesterday. I know, I know, but he's coming back. Could take a while. It's okay. I'm ready. And yet that's what we do. God, you spoke, so I'm just going just gonna to sit there. Can I say, you know what's amazing about the pursuit? That it never ends. You know what's amazing about pursuing God? There's never an end point. Because we don't ever arrive. We don't ever come to this place where we know everything about God. You're constantly pursuing just like some of us as parents running after our children in Walmart. We're constantly pursuing. There's a constant pursuit. doesn't matter if it's aisle 3, 4, 5, 6, 17, 24. It doesn't matter. There's a constant pursuit. Constantly pursue the things of God. So what are the conditions? I want you to listen to this. Verse 17 and 18. Here's the conditions. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. What's it talking about? What's talking about the world's ways? The world's philosophies, the world's way of thinking, sometimes worldly people. It's talking about worldly ideas and worldly concepts that take you away from the heart of God. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. How many have ever read the Bible and wished that, you know, the verse stopped at the verse before and didn't have to tell me the next part? You know? Oh, it's so awesome. God is with us and... We're his people, and, and, and we get to hang out and stop hanging around with those people. But, Lord, why don't we just focus on verse 16 right now? I just feel like I need to take a 17-year process of studying that verse, getting really comfortable with that verse, and then, and then we're good. He's saying, no, there's a condition. we got to separate ourselves from the world. Listen to the message version of this. It says this. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them, move into them. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. So leave the corruption and the compromise. Leave it for good. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be sons and daughters to me. The word of the master God. How many have some very special signatures that you have on your emails? Right? 
where it's like, you know, love and blessings, emoji, emoji, you know, thumbs up, whatever it's got to be. All of us have this unique way that we answer emails or, or sign off on, on Facebook, you know, personal messaging, all the other things that we do, all these little things that we do. We always sign off a certain way. So here's God. The word of the master God. He just didn't say, sincerely, your heavenly father, uh, I love you, little princess, you're so awesome. He didn't do that. He said, the word of the master. The first time I read that, I'm going back in time, but I thought of the cartoon Masters of the Universe. <laughs> as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, you know, I started thinking of all these things in my mind of what I grew up on. You know what? How many of you ever do that where you see a phrase or see something and it's like you just go back to a five-year-old in your mind right away? Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like there's two things that still scare me today and it was from something I saw at five. The first one was flying monkeys. I still get nervous at the Toronto Zoo anytime we get close to the gorillas, the orangutans or anything else because I'm afraid what they're going to do. They're going to steal my straw and spread it all over the road. The second thing and equally as scary was one day I was five years old and I snuck around the corner of my parents' living room and my father was watching a show called The Incredible Hulk. And, um, and I saw a man's eyes go really weird. And then he started turning green. And as a five-year-old, you're like, he's the guy under my bed. <laughs> Mom, I told you about this guy. He's on the screen. Mom, you got to come and you got to stay with me in my room. So the Incredible Hulk and Flying Monkeys, I need prayer for. I definitely need prayer for. I need to go to the mountain for those things. But can I say this morning, when God says separate, when God says cleanse, God is saying, be holy as I'm holy. That's why it's called the Holy Spirit. It's not called the Happy Spirit. Sometimes you feel happy, but it's as a result of being cleansed because of His holiness. Right? When Moses was leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. So you go back in the story, for those that remember the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston or the Prince of Egypt back in whatever that was, 97, 98, whenever. Um, and that was the movie that was really called the, the sing-off between Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey. Who cares about the movie? It was diva moment at the end of the movie when the, when the credits are flowing and then it was who could outsing the other. If you don't believe me, just go rent the movie and go watch it. But anyhow... What is he talking about? He's talking about something that, that he wanted to lead the people of Israel to. They're leaving Egypt. They're excited to leave Egypt. But the destination was not the promised land. The destination was Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Why is that? Why was it so important that Moses take them there first before he took them to the promised land? Well, I say it like this. If you're given a promise without knowing the promiser, the gift can become an idol. If the only thing you know is the promises of God, but you don't know the promiser who gives them, then something's drastically missing. God wants us to know him. Moses' life was changed because of an encounter at a mountaintop experience. And that is what God is after for us. He wants us to have a mountaintop experience. John Bevere, great author, he said this quote. He says, if we have a calling on our lives, but have not allowed God to bring us to the backside of his desert to reveal himself, we will seek to free people 
for the sake of freedom. But we need to free people for the purpose of coming to the one for whom they were created. If we just free people for the sake of freedom, guess what? You can actually bring people to a principle, but never to the one that can be their God. I got a social work background, and I'm not here to talk negatively about social work because it was a great time for me. But those programs are filled with program after program, moment after moment, of recycling and rehashing so many of the old things. And I've often asked it this way, why do they all keep coming back? If we gave them the answer, they wouldn't come back. Right? They keep coming back because what they have is a principle. And a principle without application and knowledge of a relationship with Jesus is simply that. And you can choose to live by that principle one day and not live it the next day. Especially depending on who you're around. Right? So, I want to paint a picture here. Moses, at the age of 40, had a sense of purpose. He was, grew up in, in Pharaoh's home, knew the ways of Egypt, knew the teachings of Egypt, knew their religion. That's all he knew. He'd heard stories about God, who, who is obviously the God of the Bible. And he knew that he was called to deliver God's people. But he, because he didn't have a divine encounter with God, he only knew about him, his only response was to see the suffering of the people and alleviate their suffering. His heart was to simply alleviate their suffering. So what did he do? He took it into his own hands. He ended up killing an Egyptian, thinking the nation of Israel would become so excited and happy about what they're doing. But at the end of the day, nothing changed. He didn't have a revelation of God's heart. He was not prepared to lead them to their destiny because he didn't see it. But 40 years later, 80 years old, he's already been on the backside of the desert. He's already had this God encounter. He's already experienced something so supernatural and so miraculous that literally has rocked his world. At the age of 80, he still knew that he was called to deliver God's people. But guess what happened? He didn't see the suffering of his people and just wanted them to alleviate their suffering. He saw the suffering of his people and wanted to bring them to the one who could do it. Big difference. Why? Because he knew in himself he couldn't do a thing. He was a leader at 40 who had a great purpose, but his purpose was incomplete. Philippians chapter 3, Paul, the Apostle Paul, literally says, I count everything that I have personally gained in my life as rubbish just to simply know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him. When you have a mountaintop experience with God, it's about knowing him. It's not about getting from him. It's about knowing him. It's about knowing his heart. I want to read a, a passage in Exodus chapter 20, and it's on the uh, Bible kind of thing at the bottom there, Margaret. And I'm going to read it. It's Exodus chapter 20, and I'm getting all high-techy here. Slowly. So it is starting at verse 18, and it goes like this. So just to give context, the nation of Israel has left Egypt. Uh, they've come to Mount Horeb. God just gave them the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston is glowing. Okay, he's got the silver hair. Um, he's looking really good. He's looking very distinguished, as my mother would say about gray hair, um, which she tells me all the time now, which makes me wonder if I'm getting more and more and more every day. But I'm okay with that now. It's okay. So God wants to meet with his people. 
the moment has come where God wants to have church with his people. It says, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. That would be a really cool church service. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wow, that'd be like, I think God's in the house. <laughs> I think so. Wow, that's awesome. It says, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Positive, encouraging, Caleb. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. In other words, don't be afraid. For God has come to test you. That is fear, the reverential awe and fear of God may be before you so that you do not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near. Catch that? So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near. God wants us to draw near. Amen? Amen. I want to read this quote from John Bevere. It says this. One of, the two things, one of two things is going to happen in the life of every believer. Either he's going to be conformed into the image of Jesus by allowing the word of God that is spoken in the presence of God to change him. Or he is going to conform Jesus into the image of what their heart dictates. If you go to the mountain you will change. If you stay at the foot, as Aaron did, God's image in you changes. <laughs> Can I say it like this this morning? Um, first of all, God's a gentleman. Really is. He's not coming into our lives to just nitpick and point out everything that's wrong in our lives and make us feel like we can never, ever, 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 ever get over that. But there's something that has to change in our perspective of the dealings of God. Can I say it like this? Any believer that is moving and being shaped by what God is doing is always going to be literally experiencing the dealings of God in their life all the time. Because the Bible says he who is undisciplined, Hebrews chapter 12, is an illegitimate son or daughter. So discipline comes so that we can experience the blessing and the incredible presence of God. So I believe this morning, and I believe for all of us right across this city, that God is seeing whether we are going to become countercultural Christians or subcultural Christians. I'm going to explain the difference so that you can understand. The, the literal definition for counterculture is this. It's a group of people whose lifestyle rejects or opposes the dominant values and behavior patterns of society. Countercultural. How many have ever been, don't, don't put up your hands by the way, how many have ever been in a situation where you know God is speaking to you, that God is leading you to do something, maybe to pray for somebody, maybe to share the gospel with somebody, and everything inside of you is saying, no thank you, please no, Lord have my wife come right now because she's so much better at it than I am. How many have ever, um, you know, come back to people when they said, you know, you need to share your faith, and you're like, well, you know, I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> Listen, how do I know? I used that for 25 years. <laughs> that was so good. You know, I'm just not good at that. Uh, that's okay. God wants you to do it. But I'm not good at that. That's okay. God wants you to do it. I'm not good at it. 
then this is how it usually goes. Hey, honey, yeah, 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 uh, there's, this, there's this couple here that they really want to talk to you. Because, um, you know, I just said that you can really relate really well to them, and, um, and you know, you're just so awesome. God loves you so much. I do too, you know, the kids do, and, and uh, I just, um, I have an appointment I got to get to right now, and um, I just don't tell her that it's an appointment with my, my, uh, my fear. I make appointments with my fear every once in a while. And, um, yeah, honey, I have an appointment. Um, and uh, can you come? And then she comes and everything just turns around. And then I just watch it from a distance and go, see, God, I told you you should have picked her first. Like, if you just made a better decision. We never verbalize it, but we're thinking it. <laughs> God, if you just did something else, if you just used somebody else. You want to know how I overcame the, uh, that my meetings with fear? By staring the situation that God had presented to me, looking at it and going, oh, here we go. And I did it afraid. I shared the gospel afraid. And I prayed for that person afraid with my knees shaking and my voice quivering, trying to explain to them that I'm not going through puberty at the age of whatever. But I'm literally shaking but I did it anyway. And guess what happened? The supernatural grace of God comes upon it, and you start getting more and more confident. And then you start saying things that you never even thought of before. And you're like, I didn't even know how I knew that. <laughs> and God's like, yeah, but I do. Can I say this morning, there's only one thing that God is after, surrender. People that run up to the mountaintop have a surrendered heart. People that sit at the foot of the mountain, they go like this. Well, God, when you explain all this to me, then I may think about it. When I understand it and get it all, then I'll think about it. And God is saying, surrender your heart. Surrender your heart. Don't, don't, don't stay in this place where you're in one camp and then the other camp. I'm, I'm standing outside the camp. I'm at the foot of the camp. I'm going up to the mountain. Get rid of these two camps and go right up. Amen? Amen. Oh, that's good. Remember our key verse, 2 Corinthians 6.16. It says, God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God. They should be my people. There's three distinct keys or promises here that God makes. He says he's going to be with us. He's going to dwell in us. He says he wants to be our God, number two, and we will be his people, number three. God's desire for us is the same as it's always been. As a matter of fact, that's a direct quote from Leviticus chapter 26, which proves from the very beginning of time right through to today, God's heart has never changed. His desire is still the same. He wants to be your God, but he also wants you to be his people. We just can't have him as our God and not be his people. We can't just say, I believe in God, but not live it doesn't make any sense. Scripturally, it doesn't make any sense. We have to have him as our God, and then we are his people. I, don't, I can't remember the name of the ambassador from Canada to the United States. I, I know I know it, but I just can't remember off the top of my head. And uh, an ambassador is a very interesting dynamic that happens in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.20 talks about that we are ambassadors for Christ. 
But what's interesting about an ambassador is an ambassador does not speak on their own accord or on their own authority. They only speak what their authority has told them to speak. So they're a perfect representation of those they represent. The ambassador to the United States that's living in Washington, D.C. right now from Canada speaks only on behalf of the government of Canada, the prime minister, and the ruling party. That's all they do. They don't come up with their own ideas that are in conflict with what the government of Canada is doing. They only represent perfectly the heartbeat of the government of Canada. We are called ambassadors. Why? Because we're not here to create our own version of what faith is. We're literally here to be a perfect representation of heaven on earth. When we understand that, it doesn't give us the option to be a subculture Christian. It means we have to be countercultural. Why? Because the culture and the values and the philosophies and the principles that we live by are not from earth, but are from heaven. The Bible says that if you're truly a believer, you'll be an alien and stranger in this world. Now, that does, it does not say, go be a weirdo to people in this world and misrepresent the love of Jesus. We do not believe here at Impact Church in weirdos. Now, we love them, and we want to see them saved. Oh, sorry, did I say that out loud? <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I just let my, vo- my inside voices slip. We want to see them living in balance and in really good things with God. Amen. Okay. That was good. How do you say that nicely? God wants us to be an ambassador. Amen? But how do we do that? 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, since we have these promises, the three that we just talked about, He's dwelling in us, He will be our God, we will be His people. Since we have those promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. I remember when I've had some different sin issues in my life, and I had some, I had some doozies, is what I called them when I was younger. I remember coming to that moment where you're about to sin and you know it's wrong. But there's something that starts speaking the moment you're about to do something wrong. And you know you're about to do something wrong. And you just feel this conviction. And you feel this draw. And it's in that moment you have a choice. You fear God and obey Him. Or you fear man and obey them. It's only two choices. That's how we overcome those sin patterns. Can I just, I just want to share a little interesting observation that I had this week that I can honestly say I have, I've never thought of before. Um, in the book of Revelation, Jesus uh, speaks to the Apostle John in a dream and gives him a, a prophetic kind of uh, set of um, instructions for the seven different churches that were uh, prevalent in the church in those days. Seven churches, seven different messages, seven messages that were speaking about issues that they had to change and encouraging them in ways that they needed to keep moving on with God. Seven things. And here's how all seven of them started. So the first church was Ephesus, so it said to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this, I know your works. The second church was Smyrna. It says to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this, I know your works. Third, the third church Pergamos, to the angel of the church of Pergamos, 
I write this. I know your works. Fourth one, I know your works. Fifth, I know your works. Sixth, I know your works. Seventh, I know your works. Interestingly enough, this is the first thing that Jesus starts off with each church. I know your works. Notice it doesn't say, I know your hearts. I've been in pastoral ministry for years. I was a social worker for years. I know the people business inside out and backwards. I still wonder exactly why God chose me, but hey, I'm, I'm going with it. But in every situation and circumstance, there's a habitual pattern that I see with humanity. Can I just reveal it to you this morning? You probably will be like, oh, of course. I've seen people sit down with me, whether across the desk from John Howard Society or whether across the desk uh, as a pastor, whether across the table at a Starbucks, whether across the table at a Tim Hortons, whether on our, our old red couch, our new teal blue couch, our future really nice leather lazy boy couch. But anyhow, I'm just prophesying that into existence. But anyhow, um, whatever the couch is, whatever the chair is, whatever the place is, this is the pattern I keep seeing. Well, yes, I know that this is wrong, and I know I shouldn't do it, but God knows my heart. And I go, and that's the problem. Yes, God knows your heart, but you don't know yours. You don't know your heart. God does, but you don't. What's the proof? Deuteronomy 8, chapter uh, 2, it says this, And you shall remember when the, that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you <clears throat> and to test you and to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commands or not. What's in your heart? I don't know. James chapter 2 declares this whole concept of works versus our heart perfectly. He says this, But someone will say you have faith. In other words, I have a heart of faith for something. And I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Can I say it like this? What is ever in your heart... Your actions follow. How many have ever had a conversation with someone where they say something not very nice and then they just throw in the little line, oh, I was just joking. And you know what I do with people like that? <laughs> I look right at them and I go, no, you weren't. They run, how dare you judge my heart? It's like, it's not good. And I go, no, your actions proved your heart. We can have people that say there all day long, I love Jesus. Oh, I sing songs for Jesus. I can dance. I can, you know, play the tambourine. I can do the flag waving. It's all wonderful. Jesus loves it all. But at the end of the day, you still go home and you still do something completely against the Word of God. Something doesn't line up because something in our heart is off. So here's what I want you to do this morning. Take a heart check. Where are your actions? What's your default mode when something's going wrong? What do you default to? Who do you default to? What substance do you default to? Which people on Facebook do you default to? Because it's going to reveal everything. Interesting. It's not about, I know your hearts. It's about, I know your works. Jesus can tell a counterculture Christian from a subculture Christian by the things they do. And if I can say it like this, and a lot of times by the things they don't do. 
Some people come to us and say, oh, you Christians, you just don't have any fun. I'm like, you should come to church. <laughs> you should come to church and get in the end of that worship and tell me that ain't fun. You should go to a desire retreat and see lives transformed by the glory of God and you tell me that ain't fun. You come to a connect group and you see someone start bawling their eyes out, give their life to Christ on Tuesday night, you tell me that ain't fun. That is the most fun you could ever have. But what we've done is we've created a system a, and a mindset in our thinking that says as long as we get as close to the line as possible without crossing over, then we're okay. Problem is, is if you're pursuing righteousness and fleeing the sin, there's no room for standing right here. To pursue something does not mean be sedentary and do nothing. To pursue means you're moving. To pursue means you're going. To pursue means you have intention. To pursue means you're following through. To pursue means your works are following what's in your heart. So I've said to people, and I know sometimes it's harsh, but I say to people, you can't come and sit down and say, oops, I don't know how that happened. I go, I'll tell you why. Because you were already pursuing sin, and now you saw the manifestation of it in your life. So repent, turn around, and now we're going to pursue righteousness. That's what we're going to do. You know what's so awesome about God? He loves to forgive. It's like his, it's his M.O. He looks at bad situations and looks down and goes, oh, there's that Cameron. <laughs> I know I'm going to help him. I'm going to bring this girl from Sweden. Because she's going to save his life. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> But we need to clean him up first. Because he's got problems. He lives in the realm called Pouty Cam. Too often. And you know what I realized? Pouty Cam never attracts Sandra's. <laughs> but Mountaintop Cam does. Don't overcomplicate what God's doing. It doesn't have to be a 10-year process. You can make a decision right now this morning. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired of how I always feel and the, all the same patterns and all the same things that go on and the same reverting around the mountain. I am sick and tired of walking around the mountain. I'm going to walk up it. You say, but it's hard. I know. But the Bible says... The easy road is wide, and many find it. But God's road is the narrow road, and few find it. There isn't a wide road on a mountain. There's only little paths, but stay on the path and keep going. Because I'm telling you, on, when you get to that mountain, what you will experience will make everything that you go through on earth, every high and every low, pale in comparison to what God wants to do. Can I put it to you like this? If we were in this room, we turned all the lights on, we all had our, you know, our, our flashlights on our phone, and we all turned our phones on, put our flashlights out, and then God would supernaturally remove the roof, how many know that if we had all the lights on in here, we remove the roof, and the sunlight comes in here, and our phones are on, 
and all of these lights are on, and every, every last light that we can find in this building is on, there would still be shadows. But when the glory of God's light comes, it far supersedes the glory, if we can say it like that, of the natural earth. So much so that the light of this earth pales in comparison. It supersedes it. We won't even be able to open our eyes. It's that bright. There's not one shadow that, is, that happens as a result of it because it literally emanates every single thing it touches. It is off the charts. Subculture Christians know how to believe. Counterculture Christians know how to obey. Big difference. Belief is good. It's going to get you at least to the foot of the mountain. Obey is better. Then you climb the mountain. I want to end with, with a thought here. I'm going to try my best to do this quickly. The end of these descriptions of these seven churches in the very last church, the church of Laodicea, God literally gave some instructions on how subculture Christians can get beyond being subculture Christians and actually become countercultural. He literally says in, in verse 18, he says, So I advise you to buy three things for me, gold that is refined in the fire, white garments, and ointment for your eyes. Gold that is refined in the fire. Characteristics of pure gold are three things, very simply. Number one, they're soft and pliable. Number two, they're free from corrosion or rust. And num or, sorry, number two. And number three, they are transparent. When God wants to do something in your heart, he's going to turn up the heat in your life so that you can literally experience God separating the things from the world from the things from him so that you make decisions to follow him. Hebrews 3.13 says like this, Be encourage, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Some of you have already heard this, so, um, but I'm gonna, for those that haven't heard it, Sunday, this past Sunday night my dad had a heart attack. Uh, his fourth, and um, he came home Thursday, yeah, um, and after kind of the initial discussions with my mom, for those that don't know my father, my father um, has had multiple heart issues for years, had quintuple bypass surgery almost 20 years ago, he's had multiple angiograms, angioplasties, you name it, he's, I think he's so well known in the hospitals around the world that they just know him by a first name basis, he walks in, hey Bill, how's it going? So he was in on Sunday night. We got news back on Wednesday from the doctors. A confirmed heart attack and confirmed that there was more damage done to his heart. The other thing we found out and confirmed for sure is that he only has one working artery. Quintuple bypass surgery and only one left is working in 20 years. Can I say this morning, without being weird or trying to pressure people, I know his time is short. I don't, think he can, I don't think he can withstand another heart attack. Actually, as a matter of fact, I don't think he can. Of his age and his health and where he's at in his life, he can't. But you know what I know? I know one thing. I know that he doesn't know God's love yet. And I know from this moment on, there ain't nothing stopping me from making sure he knows that. And I just kind of believe right now, and this is why I want to challenge us this morning. Why do I want you to be countercultural? Because countercultural people will not stop at anything to let people know about God's love. Subcultural people just find ways to make excuses and to hide and not to step up and just kind of hide away. How do I know? Because I've been both 
First 22 years of my life, I was the subculture Christian, knew how to play the game, knew how to say amen in church, knew how to say the right things to the right people. But for the last 20 years, man, I have been all in, countercultural, look out. And I know that there's nothing like five minutes with a surrendered heart in the presence of God. There's nothing like it. 50 years of trying will never do it, but five minutes with a surrendered heart in the presence of God will transform your life. I know it firsthand. One of the things that they teach you and they, they show you as you have a loved one going through a medical condition with heart disease is they actually show you on pictures and, in, and, and on these wall charts how the, the, the heart calcifies and how it hardens and how it loses its function. One more incident, after one more physical incident, after another physical incident, and my father's heart is barely functioning. He's got like 20, 25% heart function, if that. And they're thinking it's lower than that now because of this last episode. But can I say this morning, and please don't take this the wrong way, but there are far too many Christians living on 25% capacity of their heart spiritually because of all the stuff that has come against us and all the stuff that we hold on to. Do I believe that God can physically heal my father's heart? Yes, but you know what's most important that he gets him spiritually. But God can heal your spiritual woundedness in your hearts this morning. You don't have to stay at the foot of the mountain anymore. You don't have to stay being, standing afar off and not, not going closer to God. You can actually have an experience with God this morning that will transform your life for all eternity. Your eternal destiny can change today. Do you believe that this morning? God wants to refine you like pure gold, like, like that fire. He also wants to, to change and protect you from getting that hardened heart. Sin is what hardens your heart. Disobedience is what hardens your heart. I heard this many years ago, but it's so true. 99% obedience is still disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. There's a heavy for you. Tweet that one. <laughs> Why is God saying this this morning? Because he is sending out a personal invitation to you to come up the mountain. He's waiting. He's, you know what? The Bible says in Isaiah 40 that he's already gone up and he's already made the crooked path straight and the hilly path smooth. He's removed the rock, so it's going to be an easier ride than you actually think it is. But it's time to go up. Amen? He gives us white garments. What do white garments speak of? It speaks of our salvation. It speaks of our identity in Christ. It speaks of cleansing. But interestingly enough, it doesn't say that he's going to put it on you. You have to put it on yourself. First Peter 5, 5 says, clothe yourself with humility. It's saying it's an act of our will to actually put that garment on and to live in that. How many know that the enemy would love to come and give you other garments? Garments of your past. Garments of mourning, garments of frustration, garments of depression, garments of sickness. There's a whole bunch of stuff that the enemy wants to put on you, but you need to keep that white garment on. Can I say this morning, and you need to hear this, the enemy cannot expose what God has healed. The enemy can't accuse what God has forgiven. Keep your white garments on. The third thing is ointment for the eyes. Interestingly enough, the church in Laodicea, that city called Laodicea, was actually famous back 2,000 years ago um, for being a medical community. There was, I guess, you know, medical schools there, medical training was there, and it was famous very specifically for an ointment 
for the eyes that that school system created and founded. Um, and so, interestingly enough, when Jesus is addressing this church, he actually uses something that they can understand. Remember that, that ointment that you guys make? That ointment that medicinally heals the eye? So it reverses blindness? He says, I'm telling you this because you're spiritually blind, and you need to take some of that ointment yourself, Right? Why is he saying that? Because when truth comes, we have two choices. We either accept it, we receive it, we obey it, and we adjust our lives. Or we see it, we reject it, we ignore it, we throw it under the carpet. Can I, can I be honest this morning? And this is from somebody who's been in church for 38 years, who's been an active Christian, I'd say, since probably my, since, really since my childhood. Can I say something this morning? Um, if you don't say yes to what God's doing today, he always comes back another way. And he'll always come to your address because he knows where you live. And it always comes back. And it just always keeps coming back until we deal with it. So can I just say from experience, from going through the school of hard knocks, please don't do what I did because it was the worst probably five to seven years of my life until I finally waved the white flag and said, God, I surrender. <laughs> Take over. Do your thing. And he did. And I'm telling you, in five minutes, he did more than the whole five years before that trying to figure it all out could combine. There's three choices we have today. We can stand afar off. We can stand at the foot of the mountain. Or we can go up. I want to read our last verse this morning, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. Going over a little bit, so I apologize. It says, after these things I looked, and behold a, door uh, behold, a door standing open in heaven. The moment that we deal with those things, automatically God opens doors. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here. Come up here. Come up here. That's the call of God this morning. Come up here. It's not any more complicated than that. He's at the top of the mountain. He sent the invitation down, and he's simply asking, come up here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com. 